Well, welcome everyone to week three of our Eternity Q&A podcast. Pastor Josh with Pastor Hutch here. Hey, hey. We've got this week five questions that we're going to tackle. Try and do it in the same way that we have in past weeks. Take your questions, match it up against what Scripture says, and yet at the same time, maybe where Scripture is lacking in making comments. So we want to say what the Scripture says, um, and at the same time, uh, not more, not less than that. Uh, well, throwing in, and if it's some of our creative imagination, some of our thoughts there, uh, we'll, we'll make sure that we share that. Mm-hmm. So let's just begin. Let's dive okay. right in. This first one, this is a fairly common question. I think three or four different people submitted some variation of this. And it's simply, is my dead loved one looking down on me or communicating with me? And I think we've got to kind of break those down into a couple of questions. So just the first, is my dead loved one looking down on me? And I think, you know, there's, there's people there who, you know, they want to take comfort and solace in that, mm-hmm. thinking that even if they've lost a loved one, that somehow maybe that loved one is aware of and celebrating along with them mm-hmm. in the milestones of life. Yeah, definitely. So, what does scripture have to say there to help us in that? I think we we would direct people to Hebrews chapter 12. Mm-hmm. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and yeah. run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a good one to start with. We are surrounded by that cloud of witnesses. We know uh, that when we say, what is the church? One of the ways we uh, talk about it with our confirmands or teaching uh, is visible and invisible. There's the people we see now here on earth and, and know are Christians, know are a part of the body of Christ. But the whole body of Christ is also made up of the invisible church and the saints who are resting in glory. And the way I just pers- personally like to visualize the whole church is that way. Uh, those that we see and those that we don't, we are united in Jesus. And so based on that truth, I would say it's it's a healthy thing to to believe or consider that our loved ones are still connected to us, that they're they're looking down and they're cheering us on, and it's not as though we had uh, the thought, well, if they're in heaven, you know, and they look down, they're going to see sin and sorrow, but I would imagine them looking with the same kind of eyes that Jesus does, that He's able to look uh, through that and see all the good plans that God is working out in our lives. And so I think it's a healthy thing to to really believe that we're still connected, that they're looking down on us, that it's nothing but sin and death that really separates us now and we're waiting for that reunion. The question then is communicating with me. That's a whole kind of whole nother issue, direct communication. Yeah, I mean, still to just talk about, you know, the, the whole witness side of things okay, from yeah. Hebrews chapter 12, you know, investigated that a little bit, you know, what does it mean that they are witnesses surrounding us? Does it mean that they've gone before us like the Hebrews chapter 
11, where we're looking at all these pillars of faith that have gone before us, and that continues right up through the generations and our loved ones who have passed away. Mm. Does that mean they're in a race, like they're the fans on the sidelines who are cheering us on Mm -hmm. toward Jesus? I think, you know, I'd be okay saying that that is a possibility. Um, At the same time, is there any guarantee of that? No, Um, but you do have a couple of different places in Scripture where people seem to have awareness, even in eternity, awareness of people back on earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus tells the parable in Luke chapter 16 of the rich man who's in Hades, and he says, well, you know, send someone to warn my brothers here on earth. Now, I guess that gets to the whole communicating side of things because he can't go back and communicate, but he wants somebody to be sent. Uh, Or in Revelation chapter 6, it talks about the martyrs who are crying out to God to, you know, how long until you avenge our deaths? Mm -hmm. And so they're still aware that that there are people back on earth who are suffering. Do they see those people? Mm, The text doesn't go that far. But at least to have these people who are cheering us on as our eyes are focused on Jesus. Then then the whole communication mm-hmm. question. There, I think, much more clearly we would say, mm, I don't believe that they're communicating mm-hmm. with us. Uh, it Apparently, it can be done. Like, there is a dark... Spirit, you know, this, we're living in a spiritual world, and there are so-called dark arts and satanic arts. And then we have the story of Saul in Second uh, Samuel or First Samuel. First Samuel First twenty-eight, Samuel, yeah, Saul and the witch of Endor. And what does Saul? Uh, what does uh, uh, Samuel say as he's uh, sort of conjured, um, conjured up? He's like, "What are you doing? You sh- I should not be here. You should not have called on me." And that's about all he says. Mm-hmm. I think he gives them a bad warning after that. You know, it's not looking good for you. So, and there's plenty of other uh, clear scriptures not to necromancy. Don't don't try to communicate with the dead. Don't consult the dead Ouija boards. All of that. Because some dark people magics. are doing that, but by doing that, you're opening a door to a darkness that you don't want. You know, and and that could be a very negative thing. And exactly, who are you consulting there How do you in know? that as well? How do you know? Because mm-hmm. there, you said there's the dark spiritual world. These could be demons mm-hmm. who are pretending to exactly. be our loved ones, and we don't know. Yeah. So what what comfort is there in that? You know, I I I've heard other people too say. You know, I saw a cardinal after someone passed yeah. away, and there's. I don't know exactly the history there, but to me, that's a little bit more of a superstition. You're trying to have eyes to see something that yeah. there's no guarantees of. Yeah. But uh, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, right. Hebrews 12, I think that's where I would land on this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, mm-hmm. not on our, our loved ones who have left us. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're connected with Christ. We're connected with Christ. If they are looking down on us, they're trying to lead us toward Christ. Right. right. And even I read somewhere as well that isn't it quite possible that they are lost in this place of wonder and worship in eternity? They're not too concerned about it. They're not too concerned. (laughs) 
God, you take care of them. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to praise you. <laughs> hey, Joe, your kids are doing something on earth. He's like, oh, man, I'm resting. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm not too worried about them. Right. God's got it in, under control. So focus our eyes on Jesus. You know, and those little signs, those little things, uh, we'll call it superstitions here or there. If, if, if those are little things that help an individual think about these things that matter and our loved ones, um, that's okay, but you're right. It's got to come back to our, what are we looking for? Are we looking for Jesus to be our comfort while we are parted from our loved ones? That's what we need. We need him. And uh, one final thought, uh, just as I think each individual, uh, we want them their eyes fixed on Jesus. Um, but I can think of uh, at least one gal in our congregation. She says, you know, every night I have a conversation uh, with the Lord and with uh, my loved one, my hubby who's passed. And I said, she, she's not saying, oh, I'm having this direct communication, mm-hmm. but she is still, he's still a part of her. And so in her thoughts and in her dreams and in her imagination, you know, she's still kind of having those conversations, you know, oh man, I wish you were here to see this or whatever. That's okay. That's totally mm-hmm. okay. We're just, as long as that's not your <laughs> focus in life is to somehow be still just communicating with, with those who have passed, you know, it's all about Jesus, but... I think I just want to say to people to, to be free to uh, to let your imagination, uh, you know, be a part of how you think about things, but always bring it back to God's word and Jesus at the heart of everything. So, good thought. Yeah. Next couple of questions are focused on <clears throat> angels, which was our conversation this last week. One person simply said, "What's the difference between angels and archangels?" Actually, there's only a couple of different places in the Bible where it does mention archangels. Yeah. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, with the sound of the archangel, the trumpet sound announcing the return of Christ. Jude chapter 9, it's only a one, uh, Jude verse 9, it's only a one chapter book, but it refers to Michael as the archangel, who's also referenced as that in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13 and 12. Verse 1. Okay. Yeah, I, I think the easy, the answer is relatively easy. Um, you know, God has an army, as it were, the Lord of hosts. Um, and like any any army that, that we might think of on earth, there's some, there's some order to it. There's a little bit of hierarchy and there's the lead, you know, the leaders, the commanders, um, majors, lieutenants. I think that's, that's really all that is, angels and archangels and I think it's fun to think about, you know, some people are just interested in that kind of imagery and what's going on in the spiritual realm. And it's fun to think about. Um, but we also don't need to worry about it. You know, most of the time we're not going to be, uh, uh, seeing those wild wars that might be kind of still going on in the spiritual realm, which is a question that's kind of coming up here. But yeah, so the difference between angels and archangels, you know, there's leader angels that are heading the crew and that's pretty much it, right? Right. And and we acknowledge the distinctions in mm-hmm. angels, even as we prepare for a communion, therefore, yep. with angels and archangels and all the company of the heavenly host, which you referenced as yeah. those who have passed on in the faith, mm-hmm. uh, our loved ones who have died in the Lord, we laud and magnify your glorious name evermore, praising you and singing. So again, mm-hmm. there, the focus still goes back to Jesus. But as I talked this last week, angels have different roles 
and there are angels who are worshipers, the cherubim, the seraphim. Mm -hmm. You've got the angels who are the warriors, and in that mm -hmm. there is that proper structure where Michael is the archangel, and then the angels who are the word bringers, and the one, the only one that's known by name, well, we might say the archangel there is Gabriel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean they're the only ones who carry out those duties. That's right. And ultimately, they take their cues from God. Mm -hmm. How about guardian angels? That's the next question. Do we have guardian angels? Yeah, and there's even schools, you know, Catholic schools. What is it? Over in Chaska, guardian angels, I think is... is that what, okay. Uh, when I served in Hastings, one of the Catholic churches was guardian angels. Now, we know that there are angels that guard us and mm -hmm. protect us, but I think what this person is wondering is, do I have one guardian angel who is assigned to me? And that's a little bit, I guess you could make a case for that scripturally. Matthew 18, right. verse 10 says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father. So it, it makes it seem as if the little ones that Jesus is referencing, let the little ones come to me and don't hinder them, yeah. that there are angels that are guarding and protecting them. But again, is that... Is that one angel assigned for each person, or is it more that it says they always see the face of my Father in heaven, so the, are the angels always at the ready, waiting for the next person that they're going to be assigned to, mm -hmm. to attend to that person? Angels are not omniscient. They don't know everything. They don't mm -hmm. see everything, so they're still taking their cues yep. from God. Yeah, I think very easily... Uh, there's no way we need to say or really can say that each individual human um, or believer or whatever has a specific guardian angel. It just doesn't say it that clearly. Um, there is speculation. I, I think the ancient Jewish Talmud, yeah. which is kind of a rabbinical writing exposition of the Old Testament scriptures, there's a little bit of banter in there that says, actually, I think each person has 11,000 angels. Oh, really? Okay. How many angels are there? Again, we don't <laughs> know. There's a lot of them. We know that two-thirds sided with God. One-third were cast down with Satan. But exactly how many is that compared to the number of humans here in this world, which is nearing 8 billion? Right. Uh, we also know that angels... Are ministering spirits sent to those who will inherit salvation? So in that, we would say not everybody. I mean, if you're a believer, there mm -hmm. are angels that are guarding and protecting you. Yeah. So, yeah, I it's uh, I have never looked uh, for strength or protection from angels or saints. Mm. Um, I like the idea of having an open mind to all the beauty that is there that we don't often see in the spiritual realm um, and what it's going to be like and when we'll see the angels and how we're going to you know, be learning forever how all the pieces of, of God's plan have come together. I like thinking about that, but me, I don't need an angel or a saint. I need the Lord by my side, you know, and that's just how I think. So I've never... Uh, worried too much about whether I have a guardian angel or not. But if that's something that helps your 
creativity or how you're th- how you're thinking through something um that's okay but again it, doesn't it always lead back to jesus isn't that what they want us to do the, it does we sang this last sunday the god of angel armies yeah, yeah, yeah. is always by our side there you go it's not like god has to send his angels because he can't be here mm-hmm. oh i'm busy can you guys go and take care of this ultimately god is our guardian mm-hmm. and he's chosen somehow in his mysterious love to involve angels in the work that he is doing here in this world. And there's great comfort in that. But again, making sure that we don't slip into idolizing angels. Many times in scripture, there are times where a person falls down and worship before an angel Mm -hmm. and they're told, get up. You don't worship me. So we don't worship angels. We don't idolize angels. They're there. They're a created being. God uses them. We celebrate them. But ultimately, our eyes look again to God. So I think you can see that theme coming out as we move through answering these questions. Yeah, and here's one final verse, Colossians uh, 2. Um, and Paul's talking about um, some of the different practices of different religions or faiths that are around this community. Um and he says, let no one pass, this is uh, 2 verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or a certain festival, a new moon, a Sabbath, and, you know, maybe the traditions that, that you are holding. Don't let the traditions define everything. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So let no one uh, disqualify you insisting on asceticism, a certain type of, uh, you know, worship or or and worship of angels going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind not holding fast to the head who is Christ from whom the whole body is nourished and grows so those things are shadows of you know they're they might be real i mean they are real they're a part of it but focus on the heart the head jesus focus so. on jesus there you go. Next question. Uh, if there is a war against angels and demons, and there was, Scripture shares that. Revelation chapter 12 makes that clear. And since God is behind the angels, this person wants to know, what's the point of the war? Because God will always win. So why are the, angel, why are the demons still waging this war if they know uh, we're going to lose in the end? You know, why are the... Uh rest of the NBA teams in the playoffs still playing when we know Golden State is probably <laughs> going to win. Okay, folks? Um, whether you support them or not, you know, it's that kind of thing. Or the Bulls back in the 90s. You know, why, why play mm-hmm. them? Jordan's going to win. Why? Because, um, and this is just an earthly kind of perspective, but there is some something about the fight, and some people like to fight. And you maybe have seen people in your life that like fighting too much you know, that are just over competitive and whether they're losing or not, they want to still get you down on the ground. They still want to, they know they're going to lose. They're still going to fight you tooth and nail. And maybe the demons are the epitome of the wrong kind of attitude. Well, I think they have such a warped mind too, that they could be denying the inevitable. I I mean, to be, to be so 
self-centered, yeah. wrapped up in themselves yeah. rather than this reality of God. That's ultimately what sin is. So yep. their minds can be so warped that they refuse to recognize yeah. what is actually happening. So in their minds, they actually think they stand a chance, even yeah. though we're able to pull the curtain back from a scriptural standpoint yeah. and an eternity standpoint and say, yeah, they're not going mm-hmm. to win. But maybe in their minds, they think that they are. Or if they know that they're not, they're going to try to wound and maim the enemy and you know play dirty, try to take out as many people as possible and drag them down with them to help them to get... Uh, caught up in this warped way of thinking yeah i think what you said as well you know the demons are uh they're so warped and um that's what sin is i think luther called it that inward turning you're turning in on yourself and demons are that sort of ultimate example they are literally it's just so wrapped in their own self purpose that they have literally can't see or won't see their ultimate demise um and I think we can probably think of people in situations where you can see that reality where sin just gets in somebody's life and it just, it can really close them off from reality. Addiction does that where somebody just keeps doing the same thing. Um, and I'm not saying that a person in that situation is, is stuck. Um, the demons are a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. But that idea that they're just so focused on the wrong thing and that's why they're still fighting and in the end though guess what right jesus wins yeah no problem we we know that so keep your eyes focused on jesus don't freak out about the evil that's going on around us yeah and that one more comment just that whole question of why is there still that war it does uh, i think we want our members we want christians to know we do have to address one of the the biggest old questions is the problem of evil. You know, if God is good, why is there evil and sin? And that is a hard question. You can't really answer that uh, logically and perfectly. But if you know who Jesus is and you look at how he deals with it, how he bears evil onto himself, that's the only way I think that any person can begin to logically reason out and, of course, by faith, understand that in the end, you know, the evil is, is uh, as, as painful as it is, we know that God's plan is nothing but good. And he's going to make right all the evil that has gone throughout all time somehow. That's Romans what, chapter 8, what it's the great chapter of scripture that gives mm-hmm. us that full, complete hope. And yeah, in the right. end, what does he say there? That we are more than conquerors mm-hmm. through him who loved us. Nothing mm-hmm. can separate us from him. So hold on to those promises. That's right. Last question then. Let's talk about purgatory a little bit. Yes. Uh, Some people maybe come from a Roman Catholic background where there are varying degrees to which purgatory has been taught. So what what is a Lutheran response to the teaching of purgatory? I I did a little bit of looking uh, just because it's not part of the way that I was brought up. Mm-hmm. I was brought up in the Lutheran Church. I was brought up with an understanding that we didn't believe in purgatory, but I didn't really know where the history of purgatory had been. Uh, and, and purgatory has taken on a number of phases of development over the years. Some people trace it back to the Middle Ages mm-hmm. at the very least. Some people take it back even further to Gregory the Great uh, in the 7th century, early 7th century. 
but there is in the the apocryphal books of the Catholic Church, uh, apocrypha meaning hidden, secret books, some books that were written sometime between the completion of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. the silent years, about 400 years before Christ, and the writing of the New Testament. There is a book called Second Maccabees, and in that book, it talks about how we are to pray for the those who have died and to make atonement for the dead so that they might be delivered from their sins. Now, nowhere are these books recognized by Jesus, recognized by the early church. Or by Judaism. They're, rec- they're uh, important. They're historical books, aren't they? And, and have yet some prophetic nature to it. But even they don't count that as no, holy scripture. No, so. the, they... They have some inconsistencies there yeah. with the scriptures, and I think that's where we would separate ourselves from that. And Luther began, as he, his faith developed, uh, to, he began to separate himself from that. Because how are we saved? You know, that, I think that's the question that we mm-hmm. come back to. We are saved by grace, and the forgiveness that Jesus has won for us on the cross is not partial. It's not something to be worked out in this intermediate state where there's some level of purging. The word purgatory Mm -hmm. just means purging or cleansing. So it's this understanding that after somebody dies, that they go to this intermediate place where what does that look like? What does that mean? Are they being punished? Is there some level of suffering uh, they'll look at scripture verses that talk about being refined by fire. First right. Corinthians 3 being a prime example of that. And they'll say that's purgatory. There is an intermediate state where you are working out your salvation. Your salvation is still secured, but you just haven't quite done enough yet to yeah. fully make the requirements to get into eternity. Well, that's a salvation by works, yep. not by grace. Yeah, I mean, the fruit of maybe what the early ideas of purgatory was, which was probably some musings and thinking about, uh, again, uh, the intermediate state, which is kind of hard to know and fully define, and it became uh, obviously the wrong kind of teaching, and it became an abuse where, oh, well, they know purgatory's there, so let's scare them into how many years they're there so that they'll pay some more money to get grandpa out, right? Um, It obviously became the wrong kind of teaching. And even uh, as we've, in modern times, we were looking at a statement by uh, Pope Benedict who definitely came all all away from all the years and this extra purging and and more focused it as maybe something that happens in that that moment of transition. Because there are scriptures that speak about Basically, fire uh, being a means of that final testing of of everything. Whatever works we have refined. done, we know that there is something that carries on into eternity. And yep. Paul is clear that uh, our the quality of our work, the quality of what we've done here in this life, is refined through fire. And some people escape only through flames, uh, he makes clear. So is that that instantaneous moment where we step into eternity and Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i really 
because scripture gives us so much imagery about really what's going to happen on the last day, which I think it's interesting, you know, it's one day, but then Revelation talks about some some different things going on, different time periods, Um, you know, does Jesus come before this fire, there's just all these images, and I don't think we're meant to define it all in one perfect little nugget, we have to hold all of those images together, bring them together, and figure out the heart of it, which is going to be with Jesus, going to be with Jesus, our lives, and especially the things we've done in faith connected into eternity and, and call it rewards or, you know, Paul says here in first Corinthians three, you know, uh, we're building on the foundation of Christ, um, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Well, the wood, hay, straw might be the eh, the crummy things that didn't work out well, and it's going to get burned up, no problem. But maybe a couple of us, so some of us have figured out how to hit the gold building, and we've done the right thing, and somehow that's going to be part of the new new creation. That's I think that's awesome. But all of our mistakes and the work that it, it doesn't matter so much will get burned up, but we are saved. Um, but uh, only as through fire. So, I mean, that's an intense moment. Jesus is coming. There is judgment on the world. And yet, in the end, um, it's about getting to the new creation. So if there's a little fire there to burn off uh, some few things off my back in a second, you know, that's cool. But we're not suffering in some it, other place. You know, that doesn't No, it's sense. not a holding place of no. suffering no. and pain and punishment somehow that we have to work our way out of. No. I think of the thief on the cross where Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, if there's Boom. anybody who should have gone to purgatory, if in yep. fact there was a purgatory yeah. and had some things to work off, there you go. it would have been him. But Jesus says, no, 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 like we're saved by grace yeah. through faith. Um, so making sure that that focus stays on, I desire to depart and be with Christ. Yeah. And it's not that we're saved in any way by our works, nor do we have to pray for those who are dead as if somehow we can buy them out or pray them out yeah. of purgatory. We are, if, if purgatory is this cleansing and purging, how are we cleansed? We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That's right. Yeah, and... uh yeah, so don't worry about purgatory, friends. Uh, yeah, you can see even in the Catholic circles, I think people have realized uh, they need to maybe sometimes adjust their teaching. But Catholics are interesting because they just sort of hold on to all their doctrines and they just kind of keep building up on it. And uh, so you'll find some Catholic churches that are still doing, you know, masses for the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, that one is definitely something I would have to say, don't do that. There's no reason... You don't need a priest to do another service for a dead person, and you don't need to pay the priest to do that, you know. So, Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Keep focusing on the truth of his word. We'll join you again one last time next week, and we'll wrap up this Q&A podcast. It's been a delight to take your questions, and we look forward to talking with you again next time. Amen.